0: Anyway, with all that talk of water, I thought we'd do a little uh, water game up here, and I need two volunteers for this water game. Now, the point of that illustration, uh, of giving you that, is water, if we look at water, it represents love. That's what I want it to represent. And then this container here, and this container here, container uh, is to represent truth. And if... Truth is weak and flimsy. It can't actually carry love very well. Whereas if you've got a strong truth around it, you can carry love. Christianity is to be, as Christians, we're to be full of love. Oh, he's even clearing it up. Look at that. Oh, well done, sir! Let's give him another round of applause. Uh. Yeah, yeah, I did set you up, Sam, I did. I was going to have a third person just using their hands, but there wasn't enough room uh, at the front, so never mind. So you would have come second in that one. Uh, anyway, Anyway, and in Christianity we're called to be full of love and truth. John Stott says, the quote should uh, appear uh, behind me, Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth hard if not softened by love, Scripture, the Bible that is, commands us both to love each other in truth and to hold the truth in love. Jesus himself was the perfect model of love and truth. Actually, Anna read uh, it to us this morning about Jesus and how he, the word became flesh and we've received grace upon grace. And it goes on to say this, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In John's first letter that we've just finished last week, he talks a lot about God being full of love and light and how we as Christians are to be full of love and light. And as you'll see in these two final letters of his that we'll read today, each letter just the size of one standard sheet of papyrus paper, it's just a standard small-sized letter, we see that he encourages us to be full of love and truth. And I want to look at two things with you today. Truth that unites us and a love that builds. They're my two points that I want to bring to you today. So let's look at 2 John. If you've got your Bibles with you, then open them. If not, just just listen to me reading these, these verses to you. 2 John, verse 1 says, The elder to the elect lady and her children... Whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father, and now. I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Notice it's present tense there, coming. Such such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And just to clarify, that's not like a Western greeting. You're right, mate? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. How you doing? Oh yeah, mum's died, but I'm all right. Oh great, anyway, see you later. It's not not that sort of a greeting. It's a Middle Eastern greeting greeting of, Ah, oh, it's great to see you come and eat with me, come and, come and be with me, and you, know, you, you help them. It's that sort of greeting. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. John writes, to The elect ladies writing in code to the church. William Barclay says this No doubt the phrase the elect lady, when used of the church, goes back to the idea of the church being the bride of Christ. Later on, he finishes his letter saying, the, uh, the children of your elect sister. Uh, again, that sort of adds weight to this, this idea that it's actually the church is writing to there because it's writing from a church, your elect sister, to. Another church to encourage them. The main concern in this letter is that people know the truth, that they live by the truth, and that they are promoting the truth. He loves them in truth. Indeed, all people who know the truth loves her as well, because the truth abides in us. In verse 4 to 6, he says, um, Sorry, in verse 3, he says, The Father and Jesus, in truth and love, have given us grace, mercy, and peace. In verse 4 to 6, he says, um, he wants us to walk in truth and love before moving on to tell us about those who are not walking in truth and love and warning us about that. The truth is so key in this letter that it's peppered, the word's peppered throughout and implied even more so as well. As Christians... We are called to be characterized by truth and love. You know, we've all seen those children, and our TV has lots of uh, shows about uh, uh, children who are their parents desperately love them. They love little Johnny and little Jemima, and they want little Johnny and Jemima to know that they're desperately loved by them, and yet they don't set any boundaries or bring any discipline and the child grows up with a selfish idea of what love is it ends up walking all over their parents and anyone else who will let them and then tantrums and violent outbursts appear which you know people seem to enjoy watching on on tv uh, when these these kids suddenly hit a boundary either by a friend or a school or the law that says no you can't do that you can't do that. And my friends, we as Christians, we're called to be full of love and truth with the people that we meet and the people that we come across. You see, love is not true love unless it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 Tells us That's a famous passage that lots of people read at weddings because it's all about love. But Paul tells us there that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. I, last time I spoke, I looked at the whole idea that God is love because that's what the, the passage tells us and how love is defined by and finds its perfect example in the person of God who has been perfectly revealed to us through Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus could say this to us. He could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way of getting to God except through Jesus. It's that serious. And those people getting baptized today, they've realized that and they've given their life to Jesus. You see, all of us will never, by our own efforts, be good enough for God. We we constantly do things that offend Him, that hurt other people, and sometimes even damage ourselves as well. And it brings us under God's judgment. But because God is love, because God loves you, He sent Jesus, His only Son, to come And to live amongst us. To show us the way and to teach us the way to live as well. He died on that cross to take the place for you and I. So that when we put our faith in him, our sins, the things that we've done wrong that offend God, could be put on Christ. And then Jesus' righteousness could be given to you. You get a fresh start. You get to live a new life. Amen? Amen. It's great news. And more than that, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you the moment you believe. The Spirit who Jesus says is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth comes and lives inside you. He abides in us. And He helps us to know God, not just up here, but in our heart, as some of the words were telling us earlier. He helps us to know God and to live for Him. We, re- we receive His forgiveness. We get A fresh start. We don't clean up our act and then come to God. We come to God and he helps us clean up our act. That's the way it works. You may never have done that here this morning. I'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end. It's the best decision you can ever make. It's completely changed my life. It will yours. It's not always easy, but it is the best thing. See, Jesus is the truth that unites us. And he unites us. To God, Which is why John is so strong against those people who are teaching stuff that undermine who Jesus is. They're teaching that he didn't come in the flesh or that he didn't rise bodily from the grave or he's not bodily risen into heaven uh, up there in glory with God or that he's not coming again physically. That's why he uses the present participle of coming. David Jackman uh, says this, interestingly John uses the present participle as coming, where as in 1, four, in one John for, uh, chapter 4 verse 2 in a similar context he uses the perfect, has come the present seems to underline the fact that God is still incarnate is still in the flesh in Jesus Christ now as we speak John has already made clear in verse 3 that Jesus is the Son of God and he makes it clear throughout his his writings. So John is very clear that these two things, that Jesus is the Son of God and that also he is fully man as well, a central truth to Christianity that cannot be taken away. John is highlighting this in his day against what the Gnostics were teaching. We've, We've looked at that. I won't go into that. Uh, again today, but John is clear that whilst we must show love to all people, for God so loved the world he gave his only son, actually we must not enable people who are teaching wrong things to continue to teach wrong things, otherwise we will share in their guilt. For the sake of truth, our love needs to be tough love. If you have ever been uh, in the the sad experience of having uh, someone in your family with an addiction, or maybe you even had an addiction yourself, all the medical advice would be to you, would be you need to show them tough love. Otherwise, if you're just, oh, no, no, I'll give you whatever I want, I just want to help you, actually you're being unhelpful because you're enabling them to live a lifestyle which is damaging and hurting to them. And it's the same, and to other people often, and it's the same when people are teaching false things. Our love needs to become tough uh, love towards those. Interestingly, these two areas are still two areas that the world out there around us struggle with today. Less so these days, but it's still you know, common amongst some people to say, well, I'm not even sure Jesus is real. Isn't he, isn't he a made-up person from, uh, from history? In that old Russian communist dictionary, that's what used to say, a mythical figure from history. But these days, not many people hold to that due to the overwhelming evidence that there was a man from Galilee called Jesus Christ. So that it's very hard to deny that if you're actually uh, robust in looking at history. However, so people sort of say, well, yeah, okay, maybe there was a man there, but he was just a good man or just a, a moral man, even even a prophet maybe, but he's not The Son of God. He's not not someone so special like that. And yet John is very clear that Jesus is the Son of God. And that you need to believe that in order to be saved. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. He's very clear on that. It was actually that very reason that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God that got him crucified. The Jews would have been happy with him if he just said, oh, you know, I'm a prophet or someone like that. It was because he claimed to be the Son of God. You can see it there in Matthew 26 in the account when he's before the Jewish council and they want to crucify him. That is the reason why they crucify him. So if Jesus is ultimately the truth, it becomes obvious that to know the truth that John is writing about, we need to know Jesus. But how do we walk in the truth? How do we abide in the truth as well? Jesus says this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said elsewhere, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, well, he's like a man who built his house on rock. And when the storms of life came, his house will stand firm. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, well, he's like a man who built his house on sand. And when the storms of life come, that house will crumble under him. The truth that God wants us to know and live by is the truth that was taught by Jesus and recorded in his word for all time for us to benefit by. It's a truth that doesn't restrict your life, but it enriches your life as you live by the truth of Jesus. Jesus says, the thief, talking about the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy I have come that you may have life, and life in all its fullness. Jesus brings fullness of life to you. Can I hear a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's good. He gives us fullness of life in Christ. His words don't bind you up in fruitless activity. Actually, they enrich your life. They they, they set you free, to use Jesus' words. The guidelines that Christ has given us to live by are to enhance our life, not limit our life. And the irony is, the things that people say, Oh no, no, I can't live for God because I just want to be able to do this, or I'm not free to do that. The very things that you want to be free to do are the very things that enslave your life and limit your life. Jesus sets you free. Think about it this way. There should be a rugby picture uh, uh, behind. There you go, there you go. It's been a good week for sport, and uh, I'm looking forward in particular, though, to the Rugby World Cup in Japan starting in September. Now, you could do this with any sport, but particularly true in rugby. Imagine in rugby games, there were no rules at all. You can just score how you like, boys. The only rule is you've got to get it you know over, that, over the line there and through the, uh, and through the two posts there as well. Well, actually, that wouldn't enrich the game. That would detract from the game, and you would just end up with a fight on the pitch. It, basically, you would be taking away from the game. The rules are there to enhance the game, to make it... More fun to watch, to make it more fun to play, to keep the players safe to a certain level from injury, because obviously in rugby you, you, you expect some injuries, but they also are there to protect them from foul play. The rules are there to set guidelines for people from all nations, from all backgrounds and cultures as to how you are supposed to play, and in particular, how you're supposed to engage with the opposition that you are facing at that time. My friends, our love needs to be strengthened by the truth of God's word. The truth that God expects all mankind to unite around is the truth of his son, Jesus Christ, and what he teaches us as recorded in the Bible for all time. John's Gospels says this in chapter 3, verse 33. Whoever receives Jesus' testimony, Jesus' teachings, sets his seal to this, that God is true. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, does not follow his teachings, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus is the truth that all mankind are supposed to unite around. Now let's look at a love that builds us. We go on to the next slide. John's last letter uh, in, in John chapter 3. Not uh, John chapter 3. 3 John, even. Um, to, to so many Johns in, in, in the Bible. All written by the same guy. Hence, it's got his name. But anyway. Uh, three, 3 John. It's written to an individual, most likely the leader of a local church. So let's, let's read it to you now. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I have rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to, you, to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, that's Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diatrophes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring him up, I'll bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, And we will talk face to face. Peace be to you, the friends greet you, greet the friends, every one of them. John is genuinely concerned for this leader here because he loves him. He loves it when he hears that his children in the faith are walking in the truth. In verses 5 to 8, he encourages them and us through them to demonstrate God's love to the church, a love that will build up the church, before moving on to highlight somebody who in truth has become selfish and unloving. And then he upholds Demetrius to us, who, as an example to copy, is somebody whose life is full of love and truth. And then he he closes, uh, saying he's looking forward to to seeing them and, and sending greetings. You see, we must stand on the truth. And that comes through this letter uh, as well, but as Paul tells us, and as is clear from these two letters that I've read to you, we're we're told to speak the truth in love to people. 2 John made that clear as well, didn't it? That we're called to love one another. David Jackman again says, truth and love are inseparable when they are genuine. Truth and love are inseparable when they are genuine. They belong together. To use that parenting analogy, again, you've got a a happy child on the picture behind you now. But sadly, we probably all know people, or have come across people as uh, we were growing up, whose parents provided for them everything they needed physically. They gave them clothes, they gave them shelter, they gave them food, they gave them discipline but they never gave them love. And that hole that it leaves inside of that person, that desperate need for approval, that sense of never quite being good enough, that sense of they sort of both loathe their parents, or or dad or mum, whatever one it is, and yet also really want to win their approval of the one that they've never felt love from. No love But just truth makes for a disciplinarian tyrant of a parent. And my friends, we as Christians are called not just to bombard people with the truth. We're called to shower them with love as well. We're called to love one another in truth and build each other up in love. Just look at verse 2 in 3 John where he says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. John, the last surviving apostle of Jesus Christ, one of Jesus' original twelve, the disciple that Jesus loved, most likely the most important Christian alive at that time, writing to somebody who, apart from his name in this letter, We know nothing about just an ordinary, most likely elder in a local church in Asia Minor. Don't know anything about him. He could, as the apostle of Christ, just be concerned with how he's doing spiritually and how he is leading that church. You know, you you find that in most workplaces, don't you? Your manager, he might ask you how you're doing, but he's not really concerned about you. He just wants to make sure that you, you know, get on with the work that you're called to, to do. And John could have been like that. And yet, John addresses him in love. Beloved, my loved one. He is concerned that things are going well for him. His activity, some people interpret that as his business, the work that he is involved in. He's concerned for his work. He's also concerned for his health as well. That... He is in good health, as well as being spiritually well. He's concerned for the whole person. You see, God loves you. He loves all of you. He loves everything about you. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to experience that in In your life, Jesus doesn't say, and and he's, he's concerned with all areas of your life. Jesus doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but don't bother God with the trivial, practical things of life. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you as you seek first God. My friends, as Christians, as people adopted into the family of God, we need to bear the family likeness and be concerned with the whole person. And that's why through the ages, the church has been known for doing good works, for serving the poor, for working amongst the vulnerable and helping uh, the, the, the needy as well. It's why I'm so glad As a church, to be involved in food bank, to have set up community money advice which helps people who are in debt, to have been involved in setting up keys community support which helps people trapped in addiction. It's why I'm so pleased as a church. We offer a high-quality mums and toddlers group to people, a high-quality youth group to, to the community as well. And we as a church together, we are called to love one another and to look after one another in love. Spiritually, yes, there's a firstness to looking after people spiritually because Jesus says this, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can man give in return for his soul? Yet, when the soul is well, it gives us strength to face the difficulties of life. So, even when work or our health is not so good, actually, the, along with the Apostle Paul, when our spirit's in a good place, we can say, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's a firstness of importance about how we are doing spiritually with Jesus. But as, as Christians, we are concerned for the whole people. It's why Ro- Rosie is talking about a whale, because we're concerned that these kids in that community uh, are having to travel that far just to get water. He loves you, as I've said, and he is a good, good father. He wants the best for you. But you have to bear in mind that that best for you, the best for you, is with an eternal perspective in mind. The best thing that you can have is building up an etern- a rich, eternal future with God. Above. So it doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to go well for you here and now. In fact, actually, you will face difficulties. You will face challenges in your life. Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going to face trials. They will, they will come after you. He promises you that. But the point of them is that they shape your life. They shape off the bits of your life, the sin in your life that God is not pleased with They shape your character and your faith, which is of greater worth than gold. And they get your soul focused on the eternal and off the temporary things around you. God wants us, though, as his church, to make sure that we engage in lots of individual acts of love towards one another and the world Around us, He wants us to use our time, our energy, our finances, what health we have to extend the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us, even all the way to the ends of the earth. Why? Because in, in closing, the truth that unites us is the message of Jesus Christ. This good news is what in love we are called to share with the whole world. God is love, and God is light. Both these characteristics have been perfectly displayed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to close in prayer. I ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and as I've been speaking and as Ruby and Lewis have given their testimony this morning, you think to yourself, actually, I know I'm not in a good place. I need to respond to him. I need to surrender my life to him again. And I want you just to pray this prayer along with me in your heart. God knows your heart. It's important that you confess with your mouth. Once you've prayed it, that you share with somebody. Actually, I gave my life to Jesus. Come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. But it's a heart thing. Ultimately, it's between you and God. So pray this to God. Father God, Thank you that you loved Jesus. You loved you love me, sorry. Thank you that you loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me on the cross. Please forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong, that offend you, that hurt others, that have damaged myself. Please give me your Holy Spirit and help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. 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 So if you prayed that prayer, it's important to share that with maybe the person that brought you or come and grab me afterwards. We have a number of these Why Jesus books, which are uh, are good just to explain a bit more about what you've done and how to move forward uh, with that. I'm going to invite the band back up now. And as they come, I just was really drawn to that verse 2 which I highlighted in, in 3 John. That I pr- Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And if you're here today and you're not in a good place, if, it's, uh, if things at work are really difficult at the moment, and they're challenging, and you're just thinking, oh, God, I need need some wisdom, I need some help in this. If things with your health are not good, and you just want someone to come and pray alongside you, pray for healing for you. We believe that God heals. We have testimony here of God healing people. If you need physical healing this morning, or emotional healing, again, I want you to respond. And if you know you're in that place where actually As Tom was sharing earlier, that your soul, you just feel a bit empty. You don't feel like you're that pressure cooker letting off steam because you're so hot for God. You just feel a bit dry, in fact. I want to invite you, as as the band play, I want you to come forward to the front area over here on the left, and people will be here just to stand with you and to pray with you. So can I invite you to stand? As the band begin to been to play don't delay just say actually yeah I want to do business with God today God wants to do business with you he's concerned about your business your workplace he's concerned about your health and he's concerned about the state of your soul if any of those areas are relevant to you and you're thinking yeah I need a bit of help in this come forward and receive prayer